This is the Saxo Market Call. Daily insights on what is moving the financial markets. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Friday, 16th of December, 2022, and very interesting developments yesterday with uh, big contrasts in central bank meetings. We have the Bank of England out there with a very dovish guidance. Uh, that was the one I got right. I was very surprised, and the market was clearly very surprised as well by the ECB's attempt to drum up very hawkish guidance. We'll get to that in a moment, but the, of course, the market not liking this at all. And even before that, at least in the U.S., we were selling off a bit. I don't know if this was a delayed reaction to the FOMC or if the other agenda is afoot. I suspect the latter, because why wouldn't we have reacted to the FOMC? And we certainly were not reacting really uh, very much in uh, yield terms. And then the ECB, the hawkishness there, there was more of a market reaction because it was very unanticipated. And uh, just piling on the downside for equities here, Peter, we, we covered the U.S. market in the first slide, as, as always. And I will point out one technical uh, situation here. Of course, the big reversal and have a look at the weekly appendix, that big candlestick. If we close at current levels or lower, just an epic uh, candlestick reversal. But the actual lows yesterday, right on that Fibonacci uh, retracement, uh, 30, what is it? 3877, sorry. Just there's a reason these Fibonacci's are out there. They're used, uh, of course, by the market participants. And the big one is the 61.8 down there, 37 uh, plus down a bit lower for this March future. But um, I'll take it away, Peter. I mean, just a, a pretty much a bloodbath uh, across the equity markets and particularly in Europe. Yeah, the market was not really prepared for uh, a bunch of hawkish rate messages, especially from um, especially from uh, from the ECB, as you can see on slide three, with a big move there in the uh, in the Eurostoxx fifty down three point six percent for the day. So basically, raising all the gains post the the uh, the US October inflation report back on the the 10th of November. So yeah, very, very crucial levels here. We're trading in uh, today in Europe, and I think a a very key test of the market's sort of belief in whether the ECB's rates outlook is correct or not. So we're, of course, going to watch that. And if we look across the theme baskets, um, as you said, it was pretty much a a bloodbath. Um, A lot of the high duration gaming payments, bubble stocks, cybersecurity and e-commerce were reacting to to the outlook from, uh, from the Fed, Bank of England and ECB combined. And you see that it, 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 I don't know what you what you would call it, John. But if you look at that Wednesday price performance with that big spike on the on that better than expected inflation report, and then basically fading the whole the whole move, and then now just continuing lower. The Powell's message about a little bit more than five percent policy rate end of next year. I mean, it 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 really it feels like the market the market first of all it does they the market doesn't believe the central banks, but secondly, <laughs> I mean, it, it really sets itself up for a very very big surprise to the downside if uh, if they actually follow through here in, in 2023. I, I think it's going to be a very exciting uh, year next year. Not to mention if they don't follow through, it's probably because uh, the economies are in such steep recessions that that's allowing inflation to fall enough for them to, to change their forward view. And I think there's another thing, specifically you're talking about the moves this week, there's another thing afoot here that we can't avoid discussing, and we have discussed it before, and I think we talked about the, um, the the circus around CPI releases that that was certainly in effect on Tuesday, and that uh, move fading so quickly. We have four trillion dollars in options expiry today, and I think that has probably has a lot to do with that sort of gamma hedging around that. So interesting to see if the market is breaking out, and once we get to the other side of this options expiry today, it's also the witching or expiry of all the key uh, financial market futures, uh, derivatives, uh, e minis, etc. So just a lot in the mix here and we're really getting into the last days of the year liquidity is going to start drying up probably uh, next week the last real week of the year 
Uh, there are two weeks of the year left, of course, but the, the last real week before Christmas does not look like a Santa rally uh, is going to come into effect. Now, just going just to break down again, the ECB impact here. So look on slide four, you see the German two year up over 25 basis points yesterday, falling through even further today, multiple Sigma move, just just a staggering measure of the market surprise here. We posted a new cycle high, we're above 2.38, 2.4% of life we're above now. I think the ECB is 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 over over delivering. It smacks a little bit of Trichet doing that 2011 uh, rate hike just into the teeth of the EU sovereign debt crisis trying to buy some credibility very late in the game here. And I think the markets are spooked by this because even if they do follow through in the short term with these promises of, of more hikes to come and 50 basis point increments, it, it's it's going to break markets, uh, I think is the fear here. Look at the German-Italy spread as well. Uh, they do have this tool for supposedly continuing to drain the, the core bonds and, and add on and do net QE for Italian BTPs. Uh, that jumped considerably yesterday. And then look at Euro Sterling. I noted the Bank of England outlook uh, being quite dovish, and they're saying they're not going to get as high as the market is saying. The market is pricing another plus 110 basis points, and I don't think they're going to get to that. There were two dissenters on the uh, dovish side looking for no cut, uh, no rate hike yesterday to, uh, versus the 50 basis points that was delivered. And look at Euro Sterling there, just a, just a whipsaw, massive move higher on that relative 40 basis point move for two years. So UK two years dropping, uh, European two years surging massive move but euro dollar uh, so ecb surprising on the hawker side it did rally it cleared 107 but then coming back in lower because the dollar is king when you have weak risk sentiment that was very much proven yesterday so even though the euro was strong the dollar went stronger still after the initial knee-jerk reaction so look at slide five sterling rolling over badly i've been waiting for this i was uh, very early in trying to look for this and then it finally came yesterday with the dovish Bank of England, quite a reversal there. Look at that, taking out that whole sequence above uh, the prior big high there and the reversal. And you see that in a number of dollar pairs. So quite a setup for dollar bulls, hoping for at least a, a decent consolidation here, almost versus any uh, currency, but especially those that are more risk exposed, the Aussie, etc. Okay, let's uh, let's also have your thoughts on the commodities market here. Uh, we're all shivering here in Denmark at minus ten this morning. It's going to warm up next week. But what's uh, what's your focus for gas here? Well, the gas market is uh, taking this December cold spell very well. Uh, we are drifting lower. We are down five percent today. It's trading around one twenty eight euros per megawatt. So um, no major developments in the gas market. It's more over in the power market, which is uh, very dependent on on wind generation or renewable generation that obviously has been been very volatile with uh, with very cold weather also bringing very uh, very calm weather so that's the, so the power market is still where we see the the elevated price action and the reason for the gas to drift lower is, is several things obviously we're still seeing a, a big uh, flow of lng floating gas arriving arriving into europe at the same time as you can see on slide six we are we're currently uh, close to 300 terawatt hours above the uh, the level we saw this time last year so so with the with the, the heating season more or less uh, well around one third done already we have uh, around uh, close to 40 days of of peak demand available extra compared to this time last year so that's why the market is, is uh, the gas market is, is relatively calm about the the current cold uh, cold front that we are we are we are living through. Um, it still raises the question of how how are we going to get the gas, get enough gas for next winter. But this one at least seems like it's it's uh, it's okay for now, at least on the gas front, John. 
All right, and then you're looking at the <clears throat> the importance of backwardation investment returns on slide seven there. And for folks that are not familiar with the forward commodities curve, you need to, to go to school and learn this, of course. But uh, backwardation is when you have the current uh, prices higher than the back contract. So for delivery, your forward, for example, lower than the, the current contract price. Uh, very important if you're going to be a passive, have passive exposure to any given commodity to see that backwardation because then you want to see that positive yield roll. So uh, I guess that's what your focus is here on, on this slide. Well, you said it, John, exactly. And uh, we're coming to the end of the year and it's been a it's been a very bumpy ride for, for commodities like all the other asset classes. But generally, we are, we're still uh, one of the best performing sectors uh, asset classes uh, so far this year. And not least due to the uh, to the importance of backwardation. Basically, that you, as John just mentioned, you have a positive roll yield on holding a position because of the structure of the the forward curve. This is a market change compared to what we saw in the previous uh, uh, five to ten years. And um, given the given our outlook for continued uh, tight supply across uh, all sectors, energy from energy to metals and and agriculture. We see this uh, this situation uh, being maintained into 23, and one of the reasons why the the outlook for commodities still point to higher prices. So, so just to give an example, I, I put in the performance table on the left hand side, and you can see the red bars at the top. The Bloomberg Commodity Index is up uh, around uh, 14, uh, 14 uh, or 15 percent, um, a little bit more on this. But if you take one of the ETFs that tracks the uh, the Bloomberg Commodity Index. Basically, the ETF also takes into account whether there's a loss or a, a gain on the on the road. And you can see one of these ETFs, uh, which are, are used to see MOD, which is Invesco's um, ETF tracking the Bloomberg Commodity Index. It's up just close to 15% of the year. But if you just look at the spot price development through, throughout the year, that is only up around 7.8. So basically, if you look at the just the spot price development you would have thought you would have made only eight seven point eight percent, but looking at ETF taking the roll into account, you are, you you made uh, double that. And for the next year, right now the uh, the average roll or the weighted average uh, roll yield for next for the next twelve months it has come down. Uh, it's, it's currently less than five percent, but that's primarily due to the weakness we're seeing in in energy. We see that as temporary. We see continued tightness there and 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 higher price and and higher backwardations as we move deeper into twenty three. So we just we. We expect that the the role yield will continue to underpin uh, investments in commodities in twenty three. So um, that's the reason I just put that in for for information. All right, and and now with this uh, downside in, in equities, we we're looking at Adobe just the other day, and it was reported after the hour after hours yesterday after a pretty ugly session for the equity, but they're finally managing to deliver some positive news here. Looks like Peter in in the report after hours. Yeah, sort of. Because revenue for the quarter that ended in November showed inline results with expectations. The earnings per share um, was 3.6 versus 3.5 expected. So that was okay. The revenue outlook for next year was a tad below expectation. The midpoint being $19.2 billion in revenue versus 19.4. So that's a $200 million miss. But that was likely not the reason why investors were pushing up the shares by 5%. It was Probably due to the fact that they reiterated very good discussions with regulators over their $20 billion acquisition of Figma. And you're thinking, oh, that, that must be a big company. But Figma 
it's a very small uh, challenger in the industry. I think they have revenue somewhere between 100 and 150 million dollars. So I mean, it's a very hefty price tag, but it's it has become an extremely popular product, and it's really eating uh, market share uh, from uh, from Adobe. And I think Adobe just is is extremely paranoid about the threat from from Figma, and that's why they have done this acquisition. And the market or investors are very pleased that. Adobe sound so confident that this deal will go through in 2023. So I think that was the main reason for the jump in the share price. And then I think the other big news was the first quantum mineral, which is a Canadian-based copper miner. It's one of the biggest pure play copper miners in the world. They have had a troubling year also in in, uh, in their African operations. There are some cost overruns and they have some negotiations with the governments, et cetera, et cetera. There's been some strikes as well. And, and they have a very large mine in Panama. And they had this ongoing discussion back and forth with the government in Panama uh, over you know, the tax treatment of, of the profits deriving from that copper mine. And the, the deal basically failed. That was not something the market was prepared for. Everyone, even uh, I just looked this morning, a different sales side analyst back in November, everyone was sort of agreeing that it was uh, the deal was going to go, to go through. But apparently the, uh, the Panama government wanted a higher tax cut on the profits than what First Quantum Mineral uh, was was uh, willing to give. I think they have a very strict target for what they want to deliver in in, in terms of after tax uh, cash flows. And this is a big copper mine, so it's one point five percent of the global copper production, and and production will will grind to a halt uh, because the company is pulling out, and the government in Panama is scrambling right now to find a new uh, partner, a new mining company, a new finance uh, partner for the for the mine. This is very big, just to get a sense of it. The, the mine, first of all, is 1.5% of copper production, but uh, it employs 40,000 employees. The investments that have gone into this mine is bigger than when they expanded the uh, the Panama uh, Canal. So this is this is a huge deal. It's one of the biggest uh, revenue sources for the government as well. And it's the first seizure or uh, sovereign takeover of an asset in Latin America since the uh, the very famous Argentina government that took over in 2012 and seized uh, you know the Spanish oil producer can't remember the Repsol's assets in that sea, uh, in that country and it also follows up on speculation and talks from the Mexican government and they are also considering uh, designating lithium lithium production as a critical state asset, which has put the Gangfeng Lithium, which is one of the biggest lithium manufacturers in the world, it's a Chinese company, have put their investments in, in Mexico at jeopardy. So maybe a new turn in Latin America, definitely not for the, for the good, I would say. We, we desperately need a lot of investments. And I, th- I think if, if suddenly governments in Latin America are, are going this way, it could really seriously hamper investments in these critical needed uh, materials. Shares of first quantum minerals were down 15%. That's a very interesting story. The whole risk angle from a lot of mining resources that are you know, spread all over the world and whether you have a suddenly this nationalization risk, uh, like, like you say, something that hasn't cropped up on the radar in so long. There's a huge issue back in the uh, many of the big oil companies back in the 60s and 70s, uh, Saudi Aramco, etc. Interesting one there. All right, let's go to the earnings front and you put up the earnings uh, uh, calendar for next week as well there on slide nine. Yeah, it's it's still running light, but we always have these uh, earnings releases that are not part of the, you can say, the, the calendar year. And today's earn, earnings focus in the U.S. is Darden restaurants. Uh, revenue is expected to be up 7%. I think that's a pretty good revenue growth rate, to say the least, given what we are seeing. And Darden, Darden restaurants... It's a discretionary. It's a discretionary items going out for food and drinks. Seven uh, percent, I think, is quite is quite good. And and I think 
it's an important one to track, especially for the outlook, because the outlook is looking at a 10% revenue increase for the for the next quarter. So um, it's a, it's one of those it's one of those earnings releases we'll be watching today. And then next week, basically only three on Tuesday, Nike, again, a consumer discretionary company, FedEx on logistics. And then on Wednesday, we have Carnival, which is also a consumer company. It's a it's a cruise line company is obviously exposed to the continuous reopening trade and, and increased travel activity post the pandemic. So that's basically the um, the earnings release as uh, as they are for next week, John. All right. You mentioned discretionary spending. The U.S. retail sales report for November coming in yesterday. It was a lot weaker than expected, but it was after as well a very, very strong October. Let's keep in mind. So minus 0.6% at the headline, minus 0.2 for the auto, ex-auto and gas number. Those were both lower than expected. Jobless claims a lot better than expected, plus 211K. But looking back at 2007, just the last really major uh, you know, U.S. recession we were heading into, you saw these random couple of weeks just as the U.S. economy was really set to roll over and hit a recession. So you, you have to look at a moving average basis there, and it will be a leading indicator on the broader unemployment rate, most likely if, if it holds uh, relative to uh, historic trends, but it, it's just not a leading indicator on the economy. But today we get the, and we're actually seeing the first ones rolling in, the preliminary December services and manufacturing PMI data. So the ones out of Europe this morning are actually not that bad. Uh, for your, uh, for France, at least, uh, though it was uh, a bit stronger on the manufacturing, 48.9, but weaker on the services, 48.1. And then the opposite in Germany, where we see a 47.4 on manufacturing, that's better than the 46.3 expected and 46.2 previously. So, you know, still declining, but declining at a less, uh, uh, less quick pace. And then the services at 49.0, that's quite a lot stronger than the 46.3 expected and, and similar for the prior month. So, just not a bad deterioration in this data, and but things are tr- sort of simmering along at pretty uh, ugly levels. You've had multiple months of minus 50 or sub-50 readings on these. UK went up uh, a little bit later, and the US ones as well, the S&P Global. They don't get a lot of market attention, but they might if they're especially outlying today. And you can see all the different data points there on slide 10, and I put up next week's as well. Very few highlights. We have a Bank of Japan meeting. Again, do we see sort of some glacial indication that they're ready to tinker with policy? The Japanese yen has not been under that much pressure, but getting a bit more under pressure after, if you look at Yuri yen chart, for example, after the ECB yesterday, this local rise in some yields is seeing the yen under some pressure again. But I don't think there's any fresh sense of urgency there as long as we're getting some disinflationary trends. Consumer confidence uh, up on Wednesday next week, and the PCE inflation is the data point of the week, the last one just prior to the Christmas weekend, and then we have the final week of the year. Again, look at your appendix there on uh, slide 11 with the S&P 500 chart. What a what an incredible candlestick if we close anywhere near current levels, much less uh, if we close lower still. Quite a reversal bar where the whole sort of action of the week has taken place completely outside of several weeks prior. In other words, the lows have been lower than the lowest lows of prior weeks, a high, higher than the highest highs of several weeks. So a very interesting one. And interesting to see how we close this week. Is it with a flourish or with a bit of a backing up and sort of directionless trading? How do we sort of finish off this? This year is going to be an interesting uh, setup for as we go into the, the new year. All right, that's a wrap for today. We will be back next week with the Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com. <laughs>